With a robust economy and low inflation, markets and economics are in a complicated era. WealthVest presents the Weekly Bull and Bear, a podcast dedicated to bringing financial professionals the most up-to-date weekly analysis of the trends and developments occurring in capital markets both here and around the world. Listen in as we analyze these developments and shine a light on the events that matter to us. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Drew Dockin. We're going into our six recorded podcasts of the weekly Bull and Bear. Uh, we've had a very wild morning. Um, one of the first things, I guess, I'll start with the preface of what happened a little bit last week, then going into the morning. Um, so on Wednesday, the Fed ended up cutting interest rates by 25 basis points. Um, so it's the first time we've cut rates in more than a decade. We cited some global developments uh, alongside things like inflation's a little bit more muted. Um, but today we've seen kind of a whiplash in the market. Uh, you know, we had put some some tariffs on China, and now uh, you know they've kind of devaluated their currency a little bit, and so we're seeing those effects. So, uh, Tim, let's kind of get started on what's going on, it appears, this morning. Yeah, and look, not to toot our own horn here, but uh, because because frankly, if you were if you were trying to day trade around this market, you wouldn't have made any money because you would have been trying to fight this tape for a while on the argument that we've been making, which very simply is that U.S. ISMs are slowing. There's a very clear trend, and global ISMs are slowing, and there's a very clear trend. We've also made the case that the trade negotiations have made essentially zero progress and that the Chinese have taken the stance of saying they're going to wait this thing out. Um, they're going to defeat the Trump administration, uh, and uh, I think it's very clear what you see from the state media uh, out of China that that is the new strategy, and that is what has started to manifest itself last week and certainly has manifested itself this week. Uh, so we come in this morning, markets are down 500 points, Dow's down 500, we got a 10-year at 177, and that's just telling you that we are just slowing. The whole world is slowing U.S. is slowing, and maybe finally people are realizing that the Fed is not just behind the curve, but the Fed is impotent here. The Fed can't do anything uh, to weaken the dollar. The Fed is not going to weaken the dollar uh, against the yuan. The Chinese have the ability very, very easily because they're actually holding the, the yuan uh, versus the dollar stronger by capital controls. So it's very easy for them to let that yuan uh, weaken further versus the dollar, uh, and thereby uh, essentially getting the 10% that they all are paying uh, now in tariffs. They're going to get that right back in a, in a stronger U.S. dollar on whatever they're sending to the U.S. But remember, the problem in China right now is the end of a very, very, I don't know end, maybe the end of a very, very long cycle. You're starting to see really important numbers Weaken, and those are the export numbers out of peripheral Asia, out of out of Japan, out of Thailand, out of Taiwan, out of Hong Kong, out of South Korea, all decelerating sharply. Global ISMs are going. U.S. ISM is going below 50, and so are Asian ISMs. Asia, I mean, Europe's already been at 50 forever, so who cares? But the whole point is, what we're seeing this morning is a manifestation of things that we've been talking about, which is slowing growth a Chinese trade negotiation where Trump no longer is in control uh, and he's going to flail and probably even go to 20% on some goods, um, and a Fed that really has very little, build, very little ability
Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen some of those. I mean, one, the, in terms of ISM, this has been the weakest reading, I think, since August of 2016. But then we've also seen uh, quite a bit of a dip in uh, construction spending, right? So, like, 1.3% decline in June. Um, I think that's biggest decline we've seen in several months. Um, and, you know, on top of that, I guess, I mean, we could get into, I suppose, our jobs report. Uh, June, you know, July was... I'd say a little bit more muted than some of the more recent ones. Looks like growth slowed to, you know, 164,000, um, you know, we, which was different than the 224,000 positions in June, but that still puts us at 3.7% you know, unemployment. So, uh, Tim, do you think maybe into August we'll start seeing, um, you know, a little bit more lackluster numbers or, or uh, kind of what's the cycle going to look like? Yeah, look, you've had downward revisions. The three-month trend is moving lower. Uh, I think, and if, if you look at temp employment, uh, it has started uh, to, to slow as well. Usually within the world of employment, that's your best leading indicator. Remember, employment used to always be seen as a lagging indicator. I think economists now view it more as maybe coincident, but it's still not as good a leading indicator as certain things like changes in confidence in the trend on ISMs. I always say it, the non-farm payroll is a pretty crappy data set. And why it's the one number that everybody in CNBC and the whole world goes crazy about, uh, you know, on the, what is it, the first Friday of every month, I, I really don't get it. Uh, there's a lot of other employment data out there that shows the same trend, that we're getting towards the end of a massive employment cycle. We're around full employment for whatever reasons that economists will be writing about for a long time. It's not so strong that it's generating any real wage inflation. And, and I'll tell you, 10 years at 177 today, but we've gotten down, to, we got down to two from what, a peak around three and a quarter a long time ago. And there hasn't been any uh, impact in lift and housing. And corporate real estate uh, is getting weaker. That's where you see, uh, that's where you see some dodging Cox type numbers and some of the architectural billings numbers. All of those series are slowing. So look, Towards the end of the cycle, you've got super easy credit, but you're getting, you're in the pushing on the string uh, part of this whole business cycle, and you're just not getting much lift out of the huge, huge benefit that you've got from rates. I mean, money's about as close to being free as you're going to get, uh, and it just isn't really having that much of an impact. No, yeah, I mean, you even see it in, you know, the annual inflation rate, right? I mean, it's fallen to, what, one six used to have a high of like 2.9 in 2018. So um, yeah. despite all the stimulus, you're not seeing much upwards pressure, whether it's in you know, uh, savings or savings or wages. I mean, I think you had like eight That's tenths. Exactly right. right. And don't forget, accelerated depreciation, that's behind us. Thank you very much, but that's going to lead to a slowdown now. The big tax cut, for the most part, in terms of what – helps, and this is where I'm going to sound left of center, and, 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 and I don't want to get political on this thing, but you, you drive velocity of money by putting money in people's pockets who have to spend it because they don't have any savings. Why, in my opinion, why you've seen such a muted reaction to the tax cut and will continue to do so is because so much of it simply drives savings. Now, the corporate tax cut, that has the benefit that you've seen, buybacks. But as profitability slows, as, as growth slows, and that affects your profitability, you're going to see less buybacks. 
and I just think that we're on the backside of a little bit of a sugar high that wasn't that impressive in the first place. Let's, I guess let's get into, I suppose, some of the, um, the development. We talked a little bit about China, but um, I guess we'll, we'll have some negotiators uh, going in September. Um, that was planned, it appears, you know, before, you know, we added 10% tariffs on, you know, another additional $300 billion of Chinese goods. Um, so, you know, we have a couple representatives going. Some of them appear to be from California. Um, and, you know, so that will be in September. But in the meantime, it seems like, you know, the State Department and whoever are, uh, you know, our diplomats are going, they don't have a whole lot to work with. Uh, in terms of, you know, right now we've got kind of issues revolving around the currency, but then we also have all these new tariffs. So I guess, I mean, what will happen on September 1st and when they when they eventually do meet again? And, um, I mean, I guess the conversation is going to be even more contentious. Yeah, I, I think it's immaterial. Like, who cares? I mean, there's two people that matter in this whole thing. It's Trump and it's Xi. Uh, and she has been very clear. And what's the guy's name? Hu Xintao, who uh, is the reporter for one of the big state media companies. That guy's been on the money. Uh, and he's basically told you that Xi is tired of this whole thing uh, and that China's not going to be bullied. Um, and they're going to play the hand that they're going to play, which is they're going to devalue the currency. They are going to uh, put uh, – they're going to have reciprocal – tariffs on that which is coming into China, uh, and that they're just going to try to stimulate and deal with the fact that, remember, it's only a few percent, three, four percent of total Chinese manufacturing ends up into export products, intermediate and final products in the United States. China's got a whole slew of issues, and the biggest one isn't tariffs in the United States. So this thing is going to play out in the presidential election of 2020. What a bunch of senators and congressmen from California go and do in September is immaterial, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, when we were out in Bozeman in May, there's a variety of different tactics um, that both sides can employ. And I think one of the more interesting ones is not to get too, I guess, ahead of the talking points, but what the uh, Chinese have done with um, Iranian crude in bonded storage, right? So um, functionally, you're just holding a ton of crude, uh, and you're just not taking off the port. But, you know, once you can, it, in my understanding, this prices can fall, you know, anywhere from 5 to $7 per barrel, which seems to me to be an interesting tactic and one that's, um, you know, is an arrow in the quiver they haven't used used so far. And, and, and it's probably a more powerful uh, arrow for their trading relationships within Asia uh, because it probably won't have as much of an impact on WTI. Remember, WTI now is trades at a huge discount to Brent uh, and global uh, spot prices, especially Asian global spot prices. So, you know, just because of the phenomenon of the Permian um, and even the Bakken as well, uh, and other, obviously other plays all over the country. We got a lot of oil, and I just don't think that oil is going to be an effective weapon for the Chinese. Right, yeah, I mean, especially at this point, you know, futures have declined by almost eight points, so, um, you know, it's, I mean, I think at this point it's all, it's all relative to scale. Um, 
from some of the movements that have happened. Yeah. Well, I guess one thing is we had a we had the debates this last week. We brought that up. Um, we're going to see if there's going to be any movement, what markets would see. Uh, I think Joe Biden did quite a bit better than he did the first time around. Um, so I think that tempers things. I think a lot of the maybe candidates that might have seemed more radical, whether that be Harris, uh, they didn't really burst out. Uh, and then I think you had peripherally, you had a lot of candidates that, you know, are one, two percent candidates that try to make a name for themselves. But overall, I think um, there was way more of kind of a moderate win the last couple yeah. last couple nights. I, I, I mean, look, yeah. you, you, at that first at that first debate, the topic of reparations comes up and, and people are talking about Marianne Williamson's winning the debate. Just, I mean, it's like if this is what the Democrats, I mean, you, if you're a member of the GOP, if you're a strategist in the GOP, you went for the Republican Party, you were, you were so enjoying that first debate, you wished it would go on forever. Uh, but I agree with you. I think Biden did a little bit better. All he's got to do is prove that he's a pretty young and youthful and energetic 76. Biden's big problem is that he talks too much. You know, my dad was my my dad was a uh, was a reporter. He was a Washington bureau chief. And the story with Biden that people used to always talk about was, you know, a senator. Very often, you would you know, as a reporter, you'd hang out in the lobbies, and the senator or congressman would come out of a committee meeting, and they'd give you thirty seconds or a minute or so forth. Every once in a while, a senator or congressman would take you back to their office. Well, Biden was famous for taking guys back to his office and talking. And after thirty minutes to an hour, guys are looking at each other like. We gotta go. Like we got stuff to do. So, uh, you know, old Uncle Joe just talks too much. And you know, if you remember the McChrystal book, the Stanley McChrystal book, where he got in trouble, he got fired in George W. Bush's administration because he complained about the fact that Biden talks too much. And look, Biden's not a dummy. I think he is a useful seventy-six. And what I think that the debates are showing, and I think what polls will show, you know, I could be dead wrong on this, is that is that the Democratic Party isn't going to go way out left. I think Barry, uh, Barry Sanders, uh, not the old running back from the Lions, but Bernie Sanders is going to fade away. I think Elizabeth Warren has limited appeal, and I think you'll probably start to see somebody like Beto O'Rourke, um, who's a little bit more moderate, who's a little bit more electable, uh, who comes from a red state, who's shown that he can compete in a red state, because I think in the end it's all about electability. Um, for most people, and I just don't think the country is that interested in reparations and socializing every aspect of medical care. So I still think I've made the argument that Biden's going to win the nomination. I think he'll win it going away, and I still feel yeah. Good I mean, about that. I think what also will help is when some of the standards get higher, right? So I mean, you're going to go from a huge field to maybe seven or eight people on the stage. You know, a lot of people. Well, probably won't make that some pepper cutoff, which, uh, I mean, I guess we'll hear less about, you know, crystals and love from Williamson and that kind of thing, but I think it will at least uh, kind of help the debate in terms of um, what what we see and what markets see and probably what's going to happen in our political process coming in the next year and a half. Yeah, but who knows? I didn't see Donald Trump talk coming, so maybe psychic crystal love from Marianne Wilmer Anyway, what else are we talking about? Yeah, so um, 
I think we've covered a lot of the trade. We've covered some of the big uh, big Fed statements. Um, suppose suppose we should talk a little bit about interest rates right now. I mean, one seven. Uh, it's you know very low. Uh, I mean, this is selling off from you know it used to be two percent yields. Um, I'm just wondering what, what 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 does that mean in the coming months and if if whether or not we've seen from the Fed an insurance cut or maybe a series of things yeah. and that might have changed from what we said last week right because we've got a whole lot new of new economic data and a whole lot of more developments um, that that are applying downward pressure so what's what's going to be the role of the Fed yeah. And remember, the Fed doesn't control the tenure. And to the degree that people feel like the Fed underreacted or undercut uh, last week, uh, probably puts uh, more strikes in the tenure uh, and more weakness in the yield. Uh, because the sense is that we are slowing, we're slowing fast, and the Fed is talking about mid-cycle slowdown where everybody else is, is, is really looking at the possibility of a recession. Now, I will say this. Uh, I said last week, I do think the consumer is late stage, employment's great, there's a little income growth, I get it, but we are running down savings rates, and credit card interest is really high, and if you look at the median in this country and you take out the top 1% or 2%, the data looks very different because savings rates aren't very high if you take out the top percent and they're getting run down even further. But I will say this. Hell, I'll probably refi, you know. With a one seven ten year, probably next week you'll start to see new lows again in the last twelve months on uh, on mortgage interest rates, and you know that's 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 good for consumers. So you wouldn't be surprised if you did start to see a little bit of a refi boom, um, and you know that 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 helps people out. Uh, I think it's marginal, but I would say on the more positive side, I wouldn't be surprised if you do start to at least see some refis and you get some stimulus that way for the consumer. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole refinancing aspect will be very interesting um, coming into it. I, I I think that, I mean, we also talked about, you know, this flight to find some yield, and now that the United States is, you know, posting treasury yields like we are, I mean, I think that gets even harder for people trying to find a little bit of little bit of income. I mean, we've we've talked quite a bit over the last few weeks about, you know, whether it be, I think, the, you know, What's the acronym? The pigs countries and other countries in um, uh, in Europe and Asia, which we should be seeing quite a bit more yield than we're not. So now, um, you know, our status as kind of the developed country that at the same time you can still get some income. I think that's going to be interesting to see as uh, as that as that becomes less and less of the case. Well, thanks for your time today, Tim, and for all the listeners, uh, thanks for your time as well. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthVest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthVest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthVest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthVest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.